We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Pods. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon before the Wolves' second preseason game, which is in Denver on Friday night against the Denver Nuggets. Um, no, we're not going to do a preseason matchup. <laughs> that would Keys be, to the game. That would be dumb. That would be dumb. Um, but obviously in Timberwolves world, those of you listening know that the Nuggets have been on the mind of Chris Finch, on the mouth of some of the players and comparisons and that sort of thing. So, Adam, I've been thinking a lot about uh, the Wolves in the context of the Nuggets. And obviously, you, you've seen your team kind of yeah. make changes in that sort of direction and, uh, you know, and develop, you know, develop a defensive scheme around a center, right? And and so I just wanted to bounce that, some other sort of Nuggets things off of you. He's Adam Mara's. Um, covers the Nuggets for DNVR Sports. How are you, Adam? I'm good, man. And I got to tell you, Dana, I love this topic. Um, I'm at, I'm really excited for this show, uh, even though it's not my own. I'm excited to be a guest <laughs> because this is a topic that really kind of uh, gets my mind going. So it should be a good one. Yeah, I mean, I've always, Adam and I go back a while. It's always, we go back to when the Wolves and Nuggets were <laughs> in the same yeah, rival. Uh, going back to, you know, game 82 in 2017-18. And, and really, that's, for me, a lot of the time when I, I think about this Wolves team and how it's diverged and crashed in so many different ways over that period of time, like, the Nuggets have linearly, would it be fair to say, kind of progressed. And obviously, a lot of that is Yoke and, and what he's grown into. But part of it is is that team going from being a terrible defensive team like the Wolves, into being a team that's progressed defensively. The year after that, they were 10th in defensive rating, 16th last year, they were 12th. So I guess my biggest question to you is, how did that happen? Yeah, how did it happen? Well, I think Denver had, in many ways, the longest view in the room. And and this is part of what has been so successful about him. It's funny, I, I'm stealing, I don't know if you recall where that phrase comes from, Dane, but that was actually Sam a Sam Hinkie. Yeah, it's a Sam Hinkie phrase. And it's funny because the 76ers, it turned out, did not have the longest view in the room. I mean, they started out that way, but, you know, started to sort of skip steps along the way. But Denver, I think, if you just go back to that game 82, I think what you saw there was a team that had a foundation in place that didn't get over the hump. And it was disappointing at the time, but it wasn't 
a, oh, there's a problem. There's a flaw in the system. It was a didn't get done, but we'll learn from it. It actually ended up fueling Denver and everything that Denver has done there have up to this point, you know, you could look at it and say there were some short term hits that they have made that, that they took uh, on some of their process that have that they knew would take you one half step back, but would move you two steps forward. Ultimately, one of the best examples of this was probably trading away Yusef Nurkic for uh, Mason Plumley. which if you just put that on paper, you say it's a terrible trade. And I think there were parts of it that weren't necessarily great. But that was one where Denver, I think, saw, hey, we might miss the playoffs this year, as it turned out they did. And we might have to take a half step back. But we feel in the long run, this opens up things for us. So for me, that's the difference. Denver, that loss, while they didn't want it to happen, they knew that was a risk for doing things what they thought was the right way. And I think with Minnesota, it's not quite as linear just to contrast it. But, you know, that that was a short term success that didn't necessarily translate to a long term success at that time. And they kind of, I think, have paid a little bit for it since then. So going going back and looking at the Nuggets, something that just sticks out is front office continuity, right? Yeah. Tim Connolly gets hired in 2013 to take over the basketball operations there. If you Again, contrast that to Minnesota. The Wolves in 2013 fire David Kahn. They go, they have Flip Saunders for two years, Milt Newton for a year, Tom Thibodeau for two years, Scott Layden interim, Gerson Rosas yeah. for two years. And now they have, <laughs> speaking of Sam Hinkie, Sasha Gupta's right-hand yeah. man, uh, was his right-hand man in Philadelphia. So we're going seven presidents of basketball operations for the Timberwolves in the time that the Nuggets have had Tim Connolly running the show. And so... Yes, I mean, I think we can point to different things that maybe, maybe missteps. I don't remember the word as you put there, but I, at, from afar, and contrasting it against volatility in the front office, I just think that's a big part of the reason why the why the Nuggets are where they are and where the Timberwolves are where they are. Though the continuity plays right into sort of what I'm talking about with not skipping steps. Is there was, you know, oh, we can get over a little mini hump here if we make a move. Right. But I think Denver was like, hey, maybe we will, maybe we won't, but let's let's stay this course and think long term because the continuity compounds over time. And that's not just roster continuity, which I mean, you look at Denver's roster. A lot of these guys were on the roster for game 82 years back. I don't. And that was years back now. What was that? Three, yeah. three years ago. That was a long time. And if you go and look at that roster, most of the core pieces that were on the court for Denver are still on the roster today. Um, so the Wolves have so, one. <laughs> in yeah. towns yeah in that's towns. it <laughs> it's pretty wild so there was that but also to your point you know one coach over that time uh one you know the front office has largely been the same and here's what's funny you talk about uh you know Sashin gupta coming over he's a sam hinky guy sam hinky obviously probably i would say the best in the biz at this sort of um analytics approach the sort of you know looking at the game through that lens and i think that's an extremely important part you've got front offices that are great at the trade portion of this or the star how do i work stars portion of this thing and there's all these different things i think what denver's front office is good as two things one is scouting i mean it's no mystery they've done great in the jab they've hit they've hit on their draft picks more often than not but two everyone thinks of a good front office of having all these parts like almost these accessories we have our analytics department that's 28 people deep and then we have a scout in every city and this and that and i think that stuff can be good but it can also be messy because that's a lot of cooks in the kitchen denver has Tim Conley and a bunch of Tim Conley's friends, like five of his <laughs> friends. And it's this really tight knit sort of, uh, you know, family unit. And, and I think that there's weaknesses to that, but there's a lot of strengths the way they've been able to sort of 
move quickly, move swiftly, make decisions together. And, and, and there's just not a lot of conflict. It doesn't seem, you know, in their decision making process. And that's helped them as well. I think, again, from the, the Timberwolves side, the listener side of this, you know, we, we know the, the top bullet points of the Nuggets. And there's a lot of things on the margins that are probably why that defense improved, probably why it's been a deeper team, it's been able to handle injuries over the course of time. But I think a big part of it, it is fair to just kind of look at the top three bullet points on this Nuggets team and go Jokic, Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. And again, from the Wolf side of it, I go and see at least high level some similarities between the idea of a cat and D'Lo pick and roll pair between those two. And then you have the younger guy of the group coming in as, as the athlete in there and the, the question mark, right? The, the upside sort of, sort of situation. So I think if you're aspirational for where the Wolves are right now, the idea is that they are moving in that sort of direction sort of that sort of, towards that specific type of big three that that the Nuggets have. Do you see similarities between those two? I don't. And this is why I think this is really interesting is Sweet. I mean there is there is in terms of positionality and then all of those guys are stars and that's your core and uh, so obviously there's something there. I wonder about this all the time. Would the Nuggets have developed I mean who who's responsible for the culture? I think it's a little bit Tim Conley, a little bit Michael Malone, a little bit Nikola Jokic. That's the pil- pillars of this and everybody has sort of fallen in line behind those three guys. But it's it's interesting to think that Jokic was the first guy in of you know uh, of the roster, and he's the culture setter. He's the guy that I mean, we've heard all the stories. Just this egoless leader. He'll shoot on the side basket if you beat him to the gym. Like all this this crazy stuff that you just never see in in the NBA. I don't know what it would have looked like if Michael Porter was the first one in, and he was the one that established the team. And or even Jamal Murray, who I think another both of those guys underrated in how much they've bought into the culture and have become these unselfish or, or working towards becoming these unselfish uh, type leaders as well. Um, but Jokic being the first one and set the tone towns was the first one in here. And mm-hmm. then there was Jimmy Butler, you know, and there was all these weird things that happened, you know, in the roster construction, does he have it in him both as a, a, a charisma standpoint, but also does he have it in him to not care what people think about him and not care that he's not getting the accolades or, I mean, Jokic was, and I mean, I think Jokic wanted to be the MVP. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. But yeah. I think he didn't. He certainly did not want the fame that came with that. And that's a rare thing in the NBA. Does Towns have that, or can he he capture some of those? I don't know. Does D'Angelo Russell have that in him? I don't know. Anthony Edwards to me is the best player, or maybe the guy that could very soon become the number one guy there. And he was the third one in. And I just think that creates weird dynamics when. I, I'm not sure whose team this is going to be. I know it's a cliche, and I don't know what the who the culture setter is there, uh, and that's where I think it's significantly different. Yeah, that is that is an interesting angle um, because I think it's becoming a question here in Minnesota, uh, of, you know, face of the franchise sort of thing, which isn't even like that's a step before like best player in a weird way. Like if you go to Timberwolves.com, it's Anthony Edwards all over the place, mm-hmm. right? Like he's the I mean, he just happens to be an extremely marketable, yep. pop, you know, popular. And I think that we're going to really see that probably grow over the course of this year. And I would say that that's a pretty big difference between Michael Porter Jr. and him, right? Just, maybe. I don't know. So I mean, maybe, yeah, tell me if it's different. Jokic is so lovable, but Michael Porter and Jamal Murray's game translates more to fans. Like, you're going to see a, a 10-year-old playing at the park sure. want to be Jamal Murray. They don't want to be Yoke, right? 
And so there is a weird thing there, but Jokic was handed the keys and then he immediately handed them out. Like, hey, we all get a key here. And that's all the point I'm kind of making where I don't know if you can capture that same sort of soul based on how things have unfolded in Minnesota. Maybe you can. Maybe it's a little bit different, but it reaches the same point. But that's where I think this becomes a little bit more complicated. Well, what I will say is that, you know, Towns has said things in the past that are, have talked about handing out the keys and that sort of thing. And and for various different reasons, the keys didn't get distributed, you know, whatever it might have been. That might have been might have been like the president's job to do that. But it didn't happen. But there's there's this sort of thing where a lot of what Kat has said has been incongruent with results or what's transpired in the locker room, on the floor, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think there's probably a pretty heavy skepticism here that, you know, he will be that the skepticism you have um, that he will be Jokic in that sort of way. I don't think we can rule it out, though, when we're going 23 year old cat or 22 year old cat versus 25 year old cat. Like, I think that's one of the most in our jobs. One of the most like fascinating things is that these guys are in the midst of their career are kind of like turning the adult light switch on. And that, you know, right, like that's we were I changed a lot from the time when I was 21 to the time when I was 27, you know, that Dang, sort of I'm thing. 30, I'm 37 and I'm in a position of leadership at DNVR. And I still like daily. Yep. I'm like, God, I suck at this. Like I screwed this up. Like you I mean, it's just a natural thing. And those guys, yep. the pressure and, and all that other stuff makes it so much harder. So to me, it's. When a leader comes along, and by the way, Yoke's also developing as a leader. Yo, like this is by True. no means like he's the perfect leader or anything like that. He just has some certain qualities that are sort of somewhat innate. Namely, he doesn't want to be famous. He said this at media day. He's like, fame sucks. I wish nobody knew who I was. And, just, <laughs> and I that's that's one out of a hundred NBA players feel that way, right? I mean, most of them enjoy some aspects of fame. So there's those levels, but you're right. This stuff can be developed, and I do hope and I love Towns' game. I'm just I'm so fascinated by it, and I just love big men that can do multiple things. So I hope it clicks for him, just for the sake of basketball. But yeah, it's it's just more about can those things develop now as he's on it. Like who's where does the culture get set, and how do those pieces fall? It's so rare in the NBA. We always think about it in terms of basketball, like this guy fits. Oh, he shoots the three, and we need this guy to do this thing. But it's a lot about these other aspects of how do they fit socially and politically and. And just from a respect standpoint, and you're right, it can happen. My point is just more that it happened more naturally in Denver. And I think it's going to have to happen a little more unnaturally in Minnesota. Right. I do think the one area where we can for sure draw a connection, because it has nothing to do with personality or really even the basketball, is is the contracts, right? Like that that yeah. is the reality that Denver is hitting now and having given yeah. Michael Porter Jr. the extension is they got the two guys on the max already and now Here's here's Porter there. Jokic is coming Supermax eligible. And and so th- th- this is the group, right? Like right. this is this is Denver's group. They can't really trade picks. They're going to be a luxury tax team like you're there. So I think it from the Wolves perspective is you kind of have to think, well, if this is our core, if this is our group, you know, Cat Max, D'Lo Max, Ant, his Max will come in the same way as Porter's two years right. from now, like. You got to believe in it because you have now, because once you get to the point that Denver's at, which I would say is optimistically for the Wolves, at least two years down the timeline, you got to know it's your group is, is, is what I, I guess I'm saying, right, because you, right. you can't, you can't really, you can't really move around. How, how much are you, do you feel the pinch of that in Denver? Or is it like, we know this is the group? 
I think that this gets overstated a little bit. And I didn't, I didn't think this a year or two ago because you just said you have to be locked into your group and know that your guys, I don't, contracts get moved. I mean, this is today's yeah. NBA, just things happen. And it does feel sometimes like, I don't know how we'll ever change course once we're here, but teams do and things happen and maybe it costs you things you didn't want to happen, but it, but it will. What I'll say though, along these lines is I think finding out who your core guys are is harder than finding out the rest of the pieces. And that sounds counterintuitive, but mm -hmm. if you know, and by the way, I don't know this. I, I love <laughs> Anthony Edwards. I love Carl T. Towns. Not a big D'Angelo Russell guy. So that's why to me, I look at this and I go, I don't know that that's the right trio, but let's say it is and it works. Once you have that, it's easy to find, in my opinion, it's easier to find the pieces around because you go, okay, we need a guy that rebounds really well. We don't really care if he does shoots or we does this. Like, So then you find the specialists that fit more narrow, and those guys are easier to find, whereas if you're building around role players that are like, yeah, he rebounds, but he can't do anything else. It's like, ah, but that doesn't fit with Towns, and we need to do this. So once oh, There's a lot of that going on in Minnesota right now where you look at the <laughs> roster, you go, we got a lot of puzzle pieces here, not a lot of holes, right. you know? Right, but I, right. I feel but, you there. But Edwards can plug a lot of those holes. And honestly, this is my belief. Towns' biggest gaps, like his biggest area of growth is sort of between the ears. To say in between the ears sounds weird because it's like a mental thing. It's just, it's more spiritual. It's more about like, when does it all click? Because his talent is, to me, it's already there. Right. Like he already has all these talents. And sometimes that happens rapidly in the NBA or just really across sports where guys, it just clicks. And all of a sudden, all that talent they had gets unlocked. It was locked behind something and it gets unlocked. Anthony Edwards is a guy that his talent could be unlocked just by age. I mean, he's adding pieces all the time. And so you're looking at, okay, two superstars. And if you're third wheel, don't love D'Angelo Russell. But hey, if he's your third best player and he can do all these different things, you got some stuff in place. So to me, you set a two-year timeline or, or what have you. You just never know in this in this right. sport when when things kind of accelerate and and you sort of catch up to where you maybe should have been. I, I want to talk a little bit more immediately about like get. I think all my listeners are quite frankly sick of my timeline okay. <laughs> talk that I that I bring up all the time. So I, I do want to talk with you uh, about some of the these X's and O's things and what Chris Finch is gonna is gonna bring here. Let's take a quick break first, and then I'll bring uh, Adam back one second. Today's show is brought to you by TickPick. Timberwolves basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Timberwolves tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, -I -I is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. We obviously have the Timberwolves home opener coming up, and the Wolves will be playing at Target Center. So you can use TickPick. They'll have you covered. Obviously, we'll have games all throughout the season. I'll be there at everyone. You can wave to me in the media section. So if you're looking for Timberwolves tickets, visit TickPick.com slash Moore, my full name, today, and use the promo code DaneMore to save $10 on your first order for Timberwolves tickets. That's TickPick.com slash Dane Moore. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, we're back here with uh, Adam Maras of DNVR Sports. Uh, we are aspirationally comparing the Minnesota Timberwolves to the Denver Nuggets in terms of I guess we were talking about where they are going and now kind of where they're at at this moment. Um, in From a basketball standpoint in Minnesota, you're going to see a lot of change, uh, particularly on... I mean, it's funny because Chris Finch is an offensive guy, right? right. But, but you're going to see a pretty drastic schematic change. Um, just, I mean, you could talk specific at X's and O's, but it's just going to be a lot more aggressive. It's going to be far, far more on the aggressive side of the spectrum, particularly compared against, you know, the Thibodeau regime, David Vantapool, Ryan Saunders, who was extremely conservative. What Chris Finch has said is that Denver and what they they have done with a more aggressive scheme is over over the Jokic time is a model for what for what the Wolves are trying to do. And as we talked about, the the defense with the Nuggets has gone sort of up and down. I want to go back to like that. 2018-19 year where the Nuggets made yeah. the jump. And I believe that's where Mike Malone went to Jokic and he said, how do you want to guard? What 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 do you want defensively? How did that how did that year kind of play out from seeing like a real change defensively in the team? Well it's just one it's one change that there's all these like ripple effects behind it. And that was, you know, Jokic like Carl Anthony Towns is not a great rim protector. They mm-hmm. don't play above the rim. They don't scare people and and they're just not necessarily quick side to side vertical up and down all of those things so when you play the standard defense in the nba to drop bigs kind of low so that they don't get beat on layups you know those guys are going to get dunked on more often than than say a rudy gobert or or somebody because people aren't afraid to challenge them so what denver did and this is where i'm curious to see if it translates Jokic has incredible hands the really, really, really fast hands. And he has a weird – people don't think of him as a wingspan guy. He has a really, really long wingspan. So they started bringing him up, and as well as, like, you know, he sees the game well. So they started bringing him up all the way at the level of the screens, of ball screens, and they would have him sort of play aggressively to say, like, hey, you can't turn the corner on me because I'm going to try to steal it. And I'm going to – you might get around me wide, but we're going to try and, – and you might throw the lob, but we're going to have to scramble behind because rather than drop the big, we're going to play it up count on Jokic to be able to make that pass difficult, almost like a blitz in defense, put the pressure on the QB and then hope behind everybody scrambles. And Denver's done that to mixed results. I mean, Paul Millsap is very good at that. 
that was the thing Paul Millsap, he, it, it coincided with the time more or less when he arrived where it's like he's a great free safety. He's always early to rotate. And then if you get some athletes around him and everybody's on a string, it can be a very effective defense. If, if you don't have guys that are on a string, it puts a lot of pressure on the others to kind of constantly be rotating. If you don't have that, you're giving up wide open threes and dunks. So I would say it's a high risk, high reward defense. And that's why you watch that Phoenix series. There wasn't defensive chemistry between the guards and Jokic because those guards were brought in at the last minute and mm. you end up getting swept by the Suns and looking ridiculous. So there are some, there's some give and take to this, but it's the thing that works best for Jokic. Right. I think the, the two things you highlight there are Paul Millsap and athletes, right? Yeah. The Wolves, the Wolves have the athletes. They have that ability to scramble out X out to the, to the perimeter. I mean, those guys, I think it's going to take some time to get comfortable with. I mean, you got to kind of read off your wings there. There's got to be some comfort to, to have that scramble be effective. What the Wolves don't have is Paul Millsap. You know, they, they have, they don't really have power forwards, period. Um, and so Jared Vanderbilt, another guy you're familiar with is, is someone I think we'll see in that low man part of the yeah. concept in that, in that Vanderbilt role, he, or in the Millsap role, he's talked about uh, yesterday at practice. He talked about seeing parallels between those two and seeing that he will, when he's on the floor, be in that Millsap role, but really like you don't on the wolves, you got Jaden McDaniels. Who's going to play some four. You got Josh Kogi Who's going to play some four Torian wow. Prince will play some four yeah well, Kobe, start Kobe six foot four so six <laughs> four but as they like to say he has a law he has a effective height of six eight yeah. because his arms are so long but right, i right. i'm totally with you he, he played 60 percent of his minutes at power forward last season according wow. to cleaning glass so yes this is i mean this is just the reality of it so my, my question to you is like can it work if you don't have a paul Millsap, or if you can well, what if Vanderbilt's the only guy who can do it, right? What are you going to do the other 25 minutes of the game when when he's not on the floor? That That's a concern I have. I think the wings will get comfortable with the scramble after a while. I think Cat, you know, Cat wasn't very good at the drop. I think he'll be, I mean, potential to be better at that just because it's something different. I go to the low man and do they have the personnel to be able to do that? Well, even Denver, for the record, wasn't able to do this successfully. I mean, it wasn't like they created a juggernaut defense with even with Paul Millsap. And part of the reason for this is that you, in today's NBA, it's easy to put teams, especially in a playoff setting, to put them out of position of what they want. So if Paul Millsap was always the low man, like, yeah, I think Denver would be great at this. But it's very easy to be like, hey, no, you've got to come up here now. We're going to move this guy to... And, and what's happened over the last two years, a lot of times is Michael Porter has been the guy that teams have adjusted to put either in the ball screens or as the low man. And now Michael Porter has to make all these calculations, which, you know, he's learning, but he's not ready for. So uh, so do you have a single guy that can make up for it? No, but I don't think there's anyone that's a single guy that makes up for this. It's that's more a point. that now you're going to have to have a team that and if it's young players, maybe it's better. Young guys that buy in, like Jared Vanderbilt, hasn't exactly broken out yet as a player. He's still trying to. This is how he can break out. Can he be the mm -hmm. best on the team at doing this? And it's like, we have to have him on there because he elevates their defense. That's part of it. The second part of it is, we always talk about chemistry as an offensive thing. The chemistry nope. between Carl Anthony Towns and the guard core is going to be equally as, as important. And this is one thing that's flown under the radar with the Nuggets defense. Jokic and Murray have incredible defensive chemistry in the pick and roll. And there's numbers to prove this out. I don't have privy to these are second spectrum numbers, but they've been shared with me for some of the people in the organization saying those two rate very highly 
in pick and roll defense because they just know each other's timing. They they don't have to say anything defensively. They just kind of know like, okay, this is how long I have to show before I can recover and, and this or that. So changing up the defense, I anticipate D'Angelo Russell's not a great defender. Carlton mm-hmm. T. Towns isn't. And I don't know if they're going to have chemistry doing a new scheme right out of the package. This will probably be a thing that they're going to have to do a lot and, and hope that chemistry develops quickly. And not just those two, all the other guards, so that there's a nice timing to this defense. Yeah, that that's what I've been saying is I just think I think it's a good idea for them to change. Like it's been it's been Cat's whole career the same thing, and they've been they've been bottom ten in defense every single year of his career. And the year it was best, twenty first, he missed sixty percent of the games. So it's like, you know, definition of insanity, right? Um, so I'm I'm excited for for change. What what I have said on, on previous episodes is I do think this is going to be pretty bumpy at the yeah. beginning because we talk about the wings, we talk about questions about the low man. Like you got Patrick Beverly that you can put on the ball, like that that helps some. Jade McDaniel's is, is pretty good on the ball, but you know, cats obviously never played with Patrick Beverly before. Jade McDaniel's only got really in the rotation in the second half of the season playing next to Cat. So I just think there's all these things that it's going to be. I, I was watching the Nuggets first preseason game. There's a couple of those breakdowns too, where you're just like, oh, here's this guy, you know, wide open totally. for, for a layup dunk right there. So I think I would just caution Wolves fans that if this looks brutal at the beginning, um, that's almost to be expected. And I think the good thing is about this type of scheme is it's so easily like definable on film to be like, Hey, you were the low man in this situation. This was your X out. This was, you know, this was your sort of spot there where a a more conservative scheme is, isn't it's it's weird that it's more complicated. It's almost always on like two guys. If, if the a, thing if about defenses like this is that it's easy to see on film because you've got the bird's eye view and you know how the play yeah. ends. You can do this. It's all about seeing it in real time where it's like, crap. And often this is what you'll see with the Nuggets is a guy kind of look over and be like, ah, like, ah, I just I missed that. Now, I, I know immediately it was me, but I was a half second late. And, and if the numbers on this, by the way, Denver, I think every year gives up the most like the highest percentage of shots or the best percentage at the rim, meaning if guys get to the rim, they but score. But a low volume of total But shots. a low volume, exactly. So you do end up getting a lot of those dunks and, and things where you're like, man, this defense sucks. But the <laughs> point is, those are going to happen. But as long as you're limiting those and teams are actually shooting more mid-range and more floaters because of the scheme, then it's like, okay, this, this balanced out. The last thing I'll say, the other consequence of this defense is that it's exhausting. It's mm. really hard. And Denver's defense over the last few years has followed the same pattern. First month of the season, they look great, incredible defensively. Last month of the season, they look great, incredible. The middle part where you've got all the back-to-backs and the games don't feel like they matter, I just think I my personal theory is guys aren't quite as locked in because it's like, hey, to do this for 48 minutes is really hard, and we're just, we just don't have it tonight to, to, to make it enough times, to be locked in enough times to have a good defense. And, and specifically on the five, right? You're kind of doing that, like, I mean, more so than a drop. I would say it's more – I mean, you're right that it is exhausting for the five because they've got to be up the court. But mentally it's exhausting for the guys that are rotating behind because it's mm. – you you don't – you know how it is when you're playing basketball. There's times where you kind of get to relax just the, even if it's for three or four seconds where you're kind of like, okay, the play's over there. But in this one, it's constantly like split seconds. Am I – I got to run over here. I got to rotate or whatever. And if you just right. mentally check out for one second in that scheme, you, you that's where the ugly plays happen. Then that happened a lot to Malik Beasley when he was there. 
<laughs> he's Michael Porter esque, it seems, in his attention to detail. Yeah, I remember that specifically, like right after the trade going through, and I'm like, a lot of those, a lot of yeah. those with, with Beasley. But again, at least he has experience in it, and he's on this right. Wolves roster, and Vanderbilt does too. Some of them. The, the, the other biggest thing, and this isn't necessarily scheme, it's, I guess, it's kind of personnel, is this Wolves team so tiny, and they're going to really struggle to rebound. Mm. And and I was I was going through and just looking at like Denver from kind of surprised me. They're seventh in defensive rebound rate last year and you know twelfth overall in defense. You go the year before where they dropped down on defense to sixteenth overall, they're twentieth in defensive rebound rate, the best year, eighth in rebounding, tenth overall, you know. So it seems like or I don't know, I guess I'm asking you, how how would like I think we sometimes we go, oh, scheme, X's and O's drop at the level, this and that. Like, you got to end the possession, right? And you got oh, you, you to you rebound the ball. Um, I thought Washington, Denver was higher than that. I always thought they were in the top four or five in defensive rebound rate, so I'm a little surprised by that. That, that was clean. I did that cleaning the glass today. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, I don't know. So, you know, it takes us Whatever. I, I mean that in a, in a positive way. I, it surprised me that they were – that's good. I mean, that's right. good. Why are – I guess that my better question is – why why have they been so good? I mean, is how much of that is Jokic or how much is that other guys on the team? I mean, Jokic is a fantastic rebounder, so I do think this is part of it. And they've had guys over the years that are really good defensive rebounders on the team. Torrey Craig was one, even Jamal Murray is a six five guard. So I think part of this is you do you do have to have guys that know how to rebound. But another part of this is this scheme you hope can eliminate some of those easy shots. Obviously the dunks or whatever you're gonna give up, those happen, but a lot of floaters and a lot of kick out threes. And sometimes that can be to your detriment. When guys get teams get hot against you, you're just kind of like, how's Detroit beating us? Oh yeah. They're shooting 50% on threes right now. And those are kind of shots you wanted to give up, but they're just running mm -hmm. really hot. But when you give up those types of shots, floaters, mid range and, and kick out threes, even when teams miss, those are almost always rebounded because that's, they're not shots at the rim. So you inherently have a shell around the basket. So I think that's, to me, that's probably part of it. But yes, if you're an so that's reason for optimism for the Wolves to be because I think it uh, over here right now, people think they're going to be like one of the worst, like maybe the worst rebounding team in the league. Reason I would say for optimism, but again, this all comes down to you have a system that generates wide open threes, but you don't have three point shooters. You're probably there's only so much <laughs> optimism you can have. Yeah, so yeah right, right. You have a you have a scheme that maybe lends itself to defensive rebounding, but if you don't have defensive rebounders, it's going to be a little bit pulling in two directions. It's it's interesting. I'm I'm interested to to watch them. I guess the the Nuggets play tonight. We're recording this on Wednesday. They got a is is Jokic gonna? He's still gone. No, he's gonna make his day. Uh, allegedly, he's making his debut tonight. So we'll see. So he'll play. It's fun. I mean, cat cat will be turned up for that on Friday if Jokic is playing. That is <laughs> the pre, a, even the preseason. Yes. Yes. All right. There you go. They're all there, and the Wolves are the Wolves are like oddly like really there, there's a lot of there's a lot of energy going around i mean they've been terrible for for multiple years in a row um i think they're kind of trying to show that you know the front office turnover isn't really affecting them which i i honestly don't think it really is it, front office doesn't have that much interaction with the sort of players chris finch has said he's going to be playing his guys in you know out there and so cat cat does this you know cat wants to come out and like yeah, whether it's Jokic, Embiid, Gobert, those guys, they he wants to be in the conversation. He wants to he be, wants in, the to be in the conversation, and he what as he once was, and obviously what Jokic right. and Embiid, you know, did a year ago, right? I mean, it's fair to say those guys have very much extended themselves ahead of Cat, right? Right. 
Yeah. And a lot of that is team success, fair or not. But I do think in Kat's case, and I think in Jokic's case, these things, those things are tied. And I think yeah. even deep down, I think the players probably know that as well. Of, yes, I haven't been on a great team, but there's something I haven't learned and I'm trying to learn it that will get yes. me over that hump. And, and to Jokic's credit, and that's what I want to say that like building linearly sort of thing. And like you said, right. you know, some of the culture was Conley, some of it's Malone, but some of it was Jokic too. And I think in Minnesota, a lot of the lack of chemistry was on Tibbs as on the sidelines right. and in the front office. And then, and then with Rosa's and the, you know, the front up that culture was, was never set in that, in that sort of way, but yes, but some of it's on cat. So I, I'm fascinated with a little bit of continuity here. Chris Finch just seems to be a much more normal guy. And <laughs> right. A, like, I think he's a great coach. I I'm really excited. Can I just, I don't know, interject here, mm -hmm. but cause we talked defense. I'm so optimistic on the Minnesota offense. And Minnesota was actually my Cinderella team this year. I, I was like, okay. hey, I think they're way better than everyone prior to the, uh, you know, the change of general manager. To me, that was just a weird wrinkle to throw into this whole equation. Maybe it doesn't have lingering impact, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, that's right. This is still the Timberwolves. So right. I don't, maybe, maybe I'm too optimistic on paper, but there's other issues. I don't know. No, no, no. I, I think that's normal. I, let, let's actually like note that quick because I, I think that is definitely what I would think if the ha same thing happened with the Nuggets. Right. You're like, this is wild. But I, I can say just from having talked to people, like it, it's it's interesting how little those things seem to you know seem to overlap. Plus, I think you got lucky in the Wolves case where I think like if you just pulled all the other general managers in the league, like. They would almost all, I think, vote Sasha Gupta as a more as a better GM right, right, or president right. than that too. So you got some you got some continuity there. I I think I I think it's kind of it, it's a little bizarre to me how low every time you know I listen to some preview pod or, or read on it and right. it's a lot of people taking the under. I I am I am surprised that that people are as low as they are on the Wolves. Not because I believe in this defense at all. I don't know to be determined. But to your point, like the offense is going to be. The offense is going to be good enough to win 33 games, I think. And that's like where the Wolves over under is. Yeah, here's one theory I have about NBA basketball. I don't think you can build two things at once, an offense and a defense. I do mm. think that you kind of have to. And this is where I think Minnesota can catch up on lost time, but I do feel like there might be a ceiling to – there's certain lessons you just have to learn through experience, and they're going to have to get that experience this year. But I think you can effectively do it. That I think you could tr you could try though, and I think that's what they are doing because 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 <laughs> sure. I think and that goes to Finch being audacious. Like all of this right, is audacious right. by Finch. Yeah. They are they are building a defense, and he would not be able to contain himself to not try and build the offense simultaneously. Which maybe just goes towards the like maybe this is going to be a little rough at the same time. But yeah, anyways, continue. No, so my thought is this is an offensive team. I mean, their players are offensive talents. Like the the top Towns is an offensive player. D'Angelo is a top offensive player. Anthony Edwards is an offensive player. Maybe a little more of a two way player, but he's an offensive guy first and foremost. And I think Minnesota now with Chris Finch, I'm so optimistic in the offense they are going to build there because I just know the Nuggets' offense was designed under Chris Finch. You know, he was yep. he was in Denver at the you know, the breakout portion of Denver when they really discovered their identity. And when he left and went to New Orleans, one, New Orleans did interesting things with Anthony Davis and, and DeMarcus Cousins that I think it just mm -hmm. showed me like, okay, he really gets how to use a creative big. But also Denver's offense, while it did get better in the years after that, I credit that to Jamal Murray and Jokic getting better and this or that. I don't know that it was necessarily more 
um, beautiful or creative or intricate, you know, all of these different things. I felt like when he left, Denver lost a little piece of that creativity that they could probably use again. So him going there and having a player in towns that I think can do a lot of what Jokic could do. I mean, they're not a one-for-one copy, but as far as just raw talents, I think they are. They have towns can shoot better and post up just as well and maybe doesn't pass as well, but they're, you know, in aggregate, they're just unstoppable forces. So I think that the offense can be the ticket here where can Minnesota be a top five offense this year? Maybe that's optimistic because I don't know if they have the shooting around in those pieces, but I do think that they're going to be one of those teams that is just fun to watch and dynamic, and there'll be nights they put up 130 points on the number one defense because it's one of those offenses that's unbreakable or unstoppable. Defensively, it's probably going to be more of a work in progress over years, but but we'll see. They, they can. They can be a top five offense if D'Angelo Russell has the type of year that you don't believe he can have, and you're not alone in that, um, and that Anthony Edwards – you know, makes the the leap towards stardom as a second year player rather than year three or four when probably more people are projecting it. Cat Cat can be the driving force of a top five offense. He he's been a you know the Jimmy Butler right. year there number four. Like it, it isn't it isn't crazy. They've when when Cat plays all his entire career, they're they're a top ten offense. So there it's just having the infrastructure around him, the the shooters like. No, it, it wouldn't be nuts at all to see the the Wolves kind of do Portland-type things from the past few years, right? Defense is terrible. Offense is great. Dallas right. things. Offense is great. Defense is terrible. Like, it, it kind of sucks that that's what they're aspiring to. But I think that's the first step, right? Like, that's the first step. And then, and then, then you got to plug the pieces in around it and get some big guys. And this is and this is why I say there's lessons that you I think you only have to learn and one of these lessons is okay they're going to have their foot on the gas pedal from day one because this is a year they want to prove a point trying to do this for 82 games you're going to run out of steam and i think Mm. to get to where they want to be defensively you got to have your foot on the gas pedal the whole time because there's so much to learn and you have to get the rhythm but at some point you're going to run out of that steam and that's why i say next year you probably come into it with hey we both have to be locked in and pacing ourselves at the same time (laughs) that's a lesson i think you only learn through going through it to be like okay this year we're going to do it this way or, or what have you. Right. And so I think they make a big leap this year. I think they have a great chance of being a playoff team. I'm still, I, I still love that for them. I think that the, the, the talent is there for them to be like a play in, but still a, a playoff right. caliber team. And um, I mean, that's the bar and it's not that high of a bar. Like, yeah. I mean, we've lowered the bar literally to play in status for teams to be like, <laughs> okay. Right. Like it's pretty it's- low. It's fun to be in that zone, though. Like, I know Minnesota sure. fans would love to be past this zone because Towns has been in the league now for seven years, and you kind of mm. you kind of hope to. But what I will say is, if you just make it to the play-in, at that point, it, there is a sense of found money. And I thought the Atlanta Hawks had found money this year and had a Cinderella mm. run to the finals because it was, hey, if we lose to the Knicks, no one's going to say it was a bad season. This right. was, We got where we went. And then you win, and it's like, hey, if we get the 76, let's just get a game or two. Then you win that one. It's like, hey, how fun is this? I think Minnesota can be similar in that there's not necessarily a ton of pressure, I don't think, should they make it to the play-in and win the play-in and get into a round. I don't think there's that much pressure. So why not go at a team like the Suns or the Jazz or the Nuggets or the Clippers? These teams are all flawed and say, hey, we have nothing to lose. Let's let's shoot let's shoot some threes and let's see if <laughs> Anthony Edwards has a 50-piece in him. Who knows? Let's see what happens. Right. No, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's as excited. I mean, since I've been covering this team, it's been like, my, my first year doing it full-time was the Jimmy Butler trade year, which was like a disaster. 
And, you know, and kind of on from there, it's been disaster after disaster. So for Wolves fans, for for me, who's going to be at these games covering this team, I'm, I am excited. I think there's there's yeah. so many more things to be excited about um, with this team. And I'm excited to see in what ways they do, you know, move along the Nuggets path and what, what ways they diverge and create their own identity, right? Like, you don't want to yeah. just be exactly that that team either. So uh, I'm excited you, for this Michael team. Malone will be watching Timberwolves a little extra closely, you know, like – Watching, uh, the, hey, what's Finch got up his sleeve? What's going on here? Okay, just, right, we're taking that. And he's had Ryan Saunders out there uh, at training camp. That's right. Yeah, full circle. Full circle. Right. All right, uh, Adam Morris, thank you for doing this, taking a little more of your time than I said. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll check in when we could actually do a real see, or game preview of, of Nuggets Wolves somewhere down the line. Um, you can follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Mares, M A R E S. And uh, I, I love what you guys are doing at DNVR. You know that we've talked about that plenty privately, and I'm Appreciate I'm excited it, for uh, excited for where that's going. I think look into DNVR Sports if you're listening to this right now and you're like, <laughs> I don't trust where journalism is going and or if it's going to exist. <laughs> where it's going is uh, what DNVR is doing, and uh, it's it's really cool that you you've developed that, Adam. Uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, I will be back uh, sometime this weekend, I believe, not after the Wolves. I'm not going to recap their preseason game on Friday night <laughs> against the Nuggets, but I will talk to you all um, later this week. Until then, I'm Dane. He's Adam. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.